What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Mind for Muscle podcast. I am your host, Nick Boletto, and I hope that you guys are having a great start to your Monday morning, great start to your week, or it might not be Monday morning when you're listening to this, but it goes up on Monday mornings. Mondays at 7 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 a.m., sometimes 6 a.m. actually. I think I'm going to do 6 a.m. from now on, but I was doing 7 a.m. for a while. Anyways, hope that you guys are having a great start to your week whenever you are listening to this or if you're listening to this at a later point in time. I hope you're having a great week. I don't have a script to go off of for this episode. I just was feeling inspired, needed to hop on and talk to you guys a little bit. Uh, so this episode is going to be a little bit more mindset based, a little bit more woohoo-y, like it's not going to be based in science, but these are all things that I think are really important for developing your physical fitness, building the muscle, gaining the strength that you want, but also just translating to your overall life, which is what this podcast is all about. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about developing a growth mindset. So a growth mindset more or less is just kind of changing your perspective and uh, more or less just allowing growth to happen. It's almost like if you know what the law of attraction is, it's essentially s- states that you you will manifest in your life what you, you know, actively think about what you consciously you know strive for and really really want so uh, I read this book I think it's by Jen Sincero Uh, it's called you are a badass Uh, she has a bunch of different books within the series you are a badass and making money Uh, it's one of those self-help books that I think actually does a really good job of Um, Being super positive, I think a lot of times self-help books, especially like the super positive ones, they end up just being kind of bullshit. But uh, I think that this one is is really good and I would highly suggest to all of you read it. It's a pretty quick read and that's coming from somebody who is a slow reader. So definitely give this book a shot. You are a badass. But um, in the book, she talks a lot about the law of attraction and kind of just manifesting good things. And so I think that it's really powerful to know that what you actively, you know, fill your thoughts with on a daily basis is going to come into your life. And so a growth mindset is one in which you are are constantly filling your thoughts with growth because your thoughts become feelings, your feelings become action. And so if you don't have growth on the brain, then you're not going to have emotions that are going to facilitate growth. uh, And then you're not going to have actions that cause growth to happen. So you have to have growth on the mind in order to grow, right? So I think for a lot of us, we are trapped in our own mind and we're not you know, actively thinking about growth. We're just kind of complacent where we're at. We might just be comfortable where we're at, whether this be in our life or whether this be with our fitness. I know that I've been there before. Uh, Basically from 2014 to 2016, I was in a place of complacency when it came to my fitness. You know, I had deadlifted uh, 550 pounds. I had squatted nearly 400. I had benched in the mid twos. You know, I felt like I had learned everything that there was to learn about training and nutrition, which is a joke, first of all, because there's new information coming to fruition, you know, on a monthly basis for sure. 
there's like these monthly research reviews that you can subscribe to uh, where people will literally talk about brand new information that is coming out on a monthly basis. So literally on a month to month basis, there is new training and nutrition knowledge to be gained. But, you know, I was just a kid. I was just like a 20, 21 year old. I'm still a kid. You know, I'm still only 24 years old. But even though in the last two years here, I've changed my mindset to experience more growth, to be open to more growth. And so I want to talk about, you know, some stories and some things that I think have led to my change and my own growth mindset. And hopefully you guys can implement these as well. But I think that one of the most important things in regards to developing a growth mindset is seeking out the right people to be in your life to help you facilitate that growth mindset to get it kind of started. So this is something that I talked about with Mike in his podcast interview. I believe that was episode four of the podcast. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to hear more about his story with this. But uh, Mike, part of what his growth and development was uh, you know, he was really struggling in school. He was getting like C's and D's. Um, as far as his weight training career goes, he was doing well, but he wasn't, you know, an elite power lifter with an international elite deadlift. Uh, you know, he was just kind of there and he he realized that he fully admits that he was just kind of coasting through life and a big part of why he is where he is today uh, which is an elite power lifter with a 1700 pound total who with which is somebody who's going to be uh, doing a master's in the fall who's going to be a graduate assistant in strength and conditioning who's going to be published for his third time uh, this year is he had somebody invest in him. Uh, so he had a mentor that he looked up to who invested in him. And I think that this is so important. You know, he might grew up, uh, his parents weren't always the most active in his life and he didn't necessarily, uh, you know, have a super strong support system at home. And I think regardless of whether or not you have a good family life, I don't necessarily think that family is enough in this regards. Like I have a great family life. I have a great relationship with my parents. Um, but what put me over the edge was not their support. It was an outsider's support. Uh, I think that we all need that. We all need somebody who we deeply respect, who we know, who we love, who we trust to invest in us and to tell us that we're worthy. And just like that simple little thing can really create a cascade for our own growth mindset. Uh, all of a sudden, we start thinking more positive thoughts about ourselves and then we start feeling more good things about ourselves and our day-to-day -day life. Uh, we start to see the the silver lining and the bad things that happen to us and we're able to kind of shrug the adversity off and work through it and all of a sudden we're taking these little day-to-day -day action steps towards our goals and uh, we've accomplished a lot we've grown a lot uh, but it all starts with those positive thoughts so i shared a story on my instagram the other day about the easiest thousand dollars that i've ever lost uh, so this thousand dollars came in the form of a scholarship. So I was in a fraternity, Sigma Phi Epsilon, VDBL brothers, if anybody's listening from SIGEP. Um, 
I loved my fraternity. I was super active in my fraternity. I'd been in it for about a year when I lost out on this $1,000 scholarship. So we had a senior. He was the president of the fraternity, and he had won a an award where he won $1,000, and then he had the opportunity to give $1,000 to a, a sophomore. So I was a sophomore at the time, and... You know, I love the fraternity. The uh, The award wasn't supposed to go necessarily to the person who was the most involved or had the best GPA uh, or whatever. It was supposed to go to kind of like an unsung hero of the chapter. Uh, somebody who actively participated, who definitely wasn't the bringing the chapter down for GPA because SIGEP takes a lot of pride in our academics. Um, but just somebody who's a really solid brother who maybe doesn't always get the credit that he, he deserves. So, uh, you know, I just felt like I wasn't worthy of that award. And I would look around in the chapter room when, uh, our president was telling us about the award and how, you know, the application process was going to work and everything. And I see my friend who is sitting up on the executive board. Uh, he's serving his second consecutive term as a vice president look at my other friend who's also sitting on the executive board who's serving his second consecutive term he was also a founding member when the chapter kind of rechartered i look around the room some more i see somebody who's been actively involved in the chapter in a couple of different leadership positions he's got like a three nine eight gpa maybe even a four oh as an engineer he's like one of the most one of the smartest most likable guys i've ever met and I can't help but feel like if I was to apply, I would almost feel guilty for applying because I look at those guys and I truly believed that they deserved it more than me. So I just didn't even apply for the award. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to take away from the likelihood that one of those guys won because I really believed that they were more worthy than I was. And so I go to a chapter the next time when they're going to announce who wins this award. And I was there. I, I was always like the first person in the chapter because I, I like to sit in on the executive board's meeting beforehand. And I, w I went to chapter and the president was like, Nick, well, I never got your application for the award. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't apply. And he gave me like this really weird, almost dirty look. Uh, and then he was just like, oh, okay, well, that, I guess that's fine then. Why didn't you submit one? I was like, oh, I just didn't, I didn't, I was too embarrassed to tell him the truth. I, I don't even remember what I told him, but I certainly didn't tell him that it was because I didn't think I was worthy of the award. But, you know, then he ended up giving it to, uh, one of those three guys actually, as it turns out that I kind of talked about. Um, and then after the fact, he came up to me after chapter and he was like, I just want you to know that had you applied, you would have won for sure. Like I, I was going to pick you regardless of what anybody wrote on their application, regardless of who applied, like you deserve this award more than anybody. And it was really, it wasn't the first time necessarily, but it was the first time that somebody, it, it was a meaningful time. I'll say that somebody who I really looked up to and I knew and I loved and I trusted had told me that I was worthy. I mean, when I joined the chapter, 
I was planning on being pre-med and I looked up and I was, you know, really into physical fitness. And I looked up to this guy who he was extremely physically fit. He had a really happy relationship with his girlfriend who is now his fiance. Uh, I'm going to hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, go to their wedding in April. Uh, you know, he was applying to medical schools. He had like a, a fantastic GPA. He was president of the fraternity. Like he just presented and carried himself really well. And honestly, a big reason why I joined this organization was because I wanted to spend as much time around this guy as possible because I wanted to end up like him. And so for him to go ahead and tell me that I was worthy of this award and that I needed to believe in myself going forward, well, Basically, what happened was I followed in his footsteps to some extent. Obviously, I'm not in medical school now. I changed my my trajectory a little bit on that on that end. Um, you know, I I didn't become president of the fraternity uh, more or less because I didn't want to. Uh, a lot of people wanted me to run, but that's neither here nor there. But to some extent, I did follow in his footsteps. And so when I was going into my senior year, and it was time for me to apply for that award, I was no longer competing with every other sophomore. I was in my chapter, I was competing with every SIGEP across the country. And I thought, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to win. They only give this award out to like 10 people in the entire chapter. But I'm going to apply because, you know, Max's words resonated with me two years earlier that I was worthy of this award, whether or not I knew it. So I believed in myself. I filled out that application. I I did my best work that I possibly could and I sent it away and I kind of forgot about it. And then I get a letter in the mail a few months later that says that I've won. I've been awarded this national scholarship award and uh, you know, it was for a thousand dollars, which honestly is when we're talking about college, it's kind of, it's kind of pocket change. Unfortunately, that's the way that college works, but I had won the award and, uh, I wasn't even necessarily that pumped about the money. I wasn't even really that pumped that I had won. I was so proud of myself for uh, applying and, more or less, I had also proven Max right. You know, he had told me that I was worthy and he told me that I was worthy of the other sophomores in my chapter. But now, you know, this organization that I had grown to love so much had told me that I was worthy compared to every other SIG up across the country. So the moral of that story is that, you know, there's there's going to be points in time where you don't think that you are worthy of certain things, but that doesn't mean that you're not, you know, other people see you differently than the way that you see you. Uh, but they're not going to reward you necessarily unless you go for it. You have to put in at least the initial effort to get yourself recognized in order to earn the, you know, whatever it is that you want out of life. You know, another good example of this is when I was in college, I thought that the way that getting like research opportunities should work is it should be a meritocracy, right? Like that makes the most sense. The smartest students 
should be approached by the professor because the professor actively wants to work with them. And so I just thought that's how it worked. So I studied really hard. I did my best work that I possibly could in every single class. I tried to show interest in the professor and what they were researching, assuming that it was something that I also wanted to research. And I really just thought that my resume and my grades would speak for themselves and that professors would come running to me. And so I spent three years on the sidelines watching my peers get involved in research and just not understanding why they were get chosen, getting chosen over me because I, I had better grades than them. I had way more intellectual curiosity than them. I mean, at, at one point, what I started doing was I would uh, go home or go back to my dorm after class and I would go on PubMed or whatever kind of research base that I thought would be applicable and I would type in like some keywords from the lesson of the day and then I would find the most up-to-date studies involving what we had talked about in class that day. I would read them and I would write like a little synopsis on the study and email it to my professor with the PDF attached and say like, hey, you know, this this is what we talked about in class today. Here's this new study that's, you know, looking a little bit deeper into this exact topic or this study actually possibly might help refute something that you had taught in class today. It'd be really cool if like five years down the line, you have to actually change your lectures because of this study kind of like kicking things off to change what is, you know, currently known as fact. Um, and, you know, professors would have discourse with me. They would, you know, invite me to their office hours and we would talk research and everything, but I never got that invite. And I was so nervous and thrown off as to why I was never asked to participate in research. And then my uh, I was in the Honors College, and for the Honors College, we had to perform a thesis of some sort. Uh, you could just do like some sort of, you know, written assignment that was worthy of being called a thesis. You didn't necessarily have to do research, but I wanted research experience. And so I had to seek out a mentor who would uh, take me through the research process. But I had to get somebody to sign on to what I wanted to study and agree to be my mentor and whatever else. And, you know, so I approached this one professor after class and I talked to him a little bit and he was super on board. I couldn't believe it. He was like, yeah, I, I would love to work with you. I mean, I've been, I've been hoping that you would approach me about research, you know, the entire time that you've been in this class. And I was like, wait, really? And he was like, yeah, I mean, there's people in our department that like talk about you and want to like actively be working with you. Uh, but you've never shown any re interest in research. And I was like thinking to myself, I've never shown any interest in research. You know, I, I sent Dr. Chen like a dozen emails with studies that I was reading and like talking about research stuff with him. I went to his office hours. I talked to Dr. Thompson like probably half a dozen times in his office hours about research stuff that I thought was interesting that he was specifically doing research on and he never invited me. And Dr. Patel was like, well, you know, that's just not the way that it works. You have to come to us. Uh, so that is just that that's a quick little story about the the fact that you guys have to take the initial action. 
the universe, you know, the universe, the law of attraction, you know, manifesting what you want, it will all come together, but it starts with you. So it starts with you developing that growth mindset, and then eventually things will kind of fall into place, and you'll get the ball rolling, and things will turn out for you the way that you want them to. But it starts with you taking that first step of action, manifesting those thoughts, Letting those thoughts become positive feelings and then the feelings will eventually come to action and you will take the steps necessary to get the ball rolling on whatever it is that you want. Ultimately, all of this is about believing that you're worth it. And I think that in our society, there's there's a lot of people telling you that you're not or telling you that you know, there's certain rules that you have to follow. There's certain limits to the greatness that you can achieve. And if anything, I just, I just think that's so not true. Uh, but you know, it is difficult to get over. And there's a great book that I read last year that my mentor, Will Schiller told me to read called the code of the extraordinary mind. Uh, and it basically talks you through, you know, achieving your own greatness. And I really, really hope that you guys read it. Uh, it was also very good on audiobook as well. But basically, the way that the book is structured is it first tells you all of the like bullshit rules is what he calls them or rules for short. Uh, it walks you through all of the things that you have been led to believe are true and then kind of myth bust them or tell you know essentially it tells you that those things aren't true uh they're not universally true so simple things like you know something as simple as you have to drink water to be healthy you know in america that is what we consider to be true i mean if somebody told you like that they weren't drinking water you would think something is wrong with them and they're probably super dehydrated but uh, the author of this book tells a story about how he went into uh, the Amazon, like deep into the Amazon to study this tribe that basically had basically has been cut off from the world. They might as well be like several hundred years behind us. I mean, they're back like just after the Industrial Revolution as far as how far advanced their technology is. But nobody in this entire village drinks water. Uh, for hydration they all drink this sort of like alcoholic beverage uh, that's made by i believe that the story goes that the women in the village get together and they chew up this type of leaf uh, then they spit the you know they they spit the leaf out into bowls and the the leaf kind of goes through the same fermentation process that like alcohol goes through. And as a result, it ferments and it kills off any of like the negative bacteria or potentially dangerous stuff that could be within the water. And it makes this sort of like almost like a beer that everybody in the village drinks for. And that is like their main drink. That's essentially their water. Uh, but it has to be made through this like chewing and spitting process. And so to them, like they would get 
deathly ill if they were to drink the water that we drink like here in our society and likewise we would probably get super sick if we started drinking like some chewed up and spat out leaves mixed with water uh you know like i mean that would that would be gross right i mean we inherently would believe that to be gross and there's a very good chance that we would get sick from something like that but you know, it's just a, it's a different world. And so the fact that you have to drink water to be healthy or for hydration is not a universal truth. And that is just a very extreme idea, but there's plenty of ideas within our society that are like believed to be true that are very easily proved to be false. And so, you know, I like to apply these ideas to our own physical fitness. Like so many people believe that they can only achieve so much muscle naturally or that their strength is, you know, their max strength potential is only so much, you know, because of their wrist and ankle circumference. Like there's these calculators online that you can put your measurements into and it'll tell you like what your quote unquote genetic potential is. And I think that those might have some merit. I mean, I'm sure that they're pretty accurate for the most part. Um, but here's the thing is knowing your genetic potential is worthless if you don't maximize it and achieve it, right? So if I know that the best squat that I could ever have with perfect training and nutrition for the next 10 to 15 years, the best squat I could ever achieve was 525. And 525, especially for somebody of my body weight, that's a pretty bad squat. You know, I'm never going to win any powerlifting competitions with a 525-pound squat. And so let's just say because I know that I'm never going to win any competition squatting 525, I just decide that I'm not going to pursue it anyways. Well, I'll never know what my true genetic potential was if I don't maximize my genetic potential. If I don't, you know, put in the work of squatting for 10, 15, 20 years, if I don't, you know, actively work on progressive overload and, you know, work on managing my stress and making sure I'm getting enough sleep and fueling my workouts properly with my nutrition, then, you know, who, who the fuck cares what a calculator on the internet tells you is your genetic potential because you're never going to maximize it anyway, because you don't care, right? Because somebody told you that you had this limit. And so, you know, something that I've made a change to within my own mindset in this past year, and I think that this is a big reason that I've made as much progress as I have because I've made pretty crazy progress in this last year. So I've been training now for like five or six years, I guess going on on to my sixth year. And usually at this time, like the gains really start to stall and slow down. But this past year, I put on like six to eight pounds and like pretty much stayed the same body fat. So, you know, six to eight pounds, roughly, let's say three quarters of that is all lean tissue, which is a lot more than, you know, what people on YouTube tell you you can expect in your fifth or sixth year of training. But I made it happen. Uh, and a big reason why I made it happen was this simple mindset shift. So I stopped listening to the calculators. I stopped listening to what the people on YouTube say you can accomplish. And I just said that, you know, I'm going to do my absolute best. I don't care what that absolute best is. I'm going to train hard. I'm going to train smart. I'm going to eat the way that I need to eat. I'm going to recover the way that I need to recover. 
and I'm just going to see what happens because you never know what's going to happen with your body until you just do it. And then once it's done, like it doesn't matter what you thought it was capable of before, you know, like the, uh, the classic example of this is the man who ran the four minute mile. So for, you know, years, I mean, the, the mile and, you know, running events in the Olympics and stuff has been around for decades, hundreds of years even. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was thought to be impossible that somebody could ever run a four minute mile with this one guy. I, I have no idea what his name is, but this one guy was like set on running a four minute mile and he trained his ass off. And most importantly, he talked about believing that he could do it. And I think he ran like a 359 mile. And once everybody else saw that somebody ran a four-minute mile, all of a sudden, four-minute miles started happening a lot more regularly. Like, I think within five years, there have been like two or three people who ran a sub-four-minute mile. And then within like 10 to 15 years, there was a dozen. And now you look at the Olympics and like you have to be running sub 350 to even get into the Olympics. There's probably, you know, 50, 100. I have no idea, but I would guess there's probably 100 people who can run sub four minute miles. I mean, there was kids in my high school running like mid four minute, mid four minutes, maybe even like 415. I wasn't on the track team, but, you know, I paid attention to high school sports. So the point of that is that the reason that people started running four minute miles had nothing to do with more advanced training techniques or more advanced recovery methods or more advanced nutrition information. It was the belief that because one person had done it, it was no longer impossible. It was doable. And so, you know, we talk about like the fat free mass index. A lot of people are familiar with this FFMI essentially is this way of indexing like how impressive your physique is and it's thought that if your ffmi is over 25 you're not natural and so there's tons of youtube videos with like millions of views where people take like really impressive physiques and they talk about you know whether or not they're natural because there's lots of quote-unquote fake natties like guys who claim to be natural or don't necessarily talk out one way or the other about their uh, drug usage or performance enhancing drug usage, I should say. And uh, so people will use like their height and their weight and their body fat and figure out what their FFMI is and then theorize about whether or not they're natty. And I'm here to say right here, right now to you listening to this podcast that it just doesn't fucking matter. It does not matter. It doesn't. Just because one person is... You know, like there's plenty of people probably who have a 23 or a 24 FFMI who are on drugs. Likewise, I'm sure that there are people who have a 26 or a 27 FFMI who are natural. Like there's going to be outliers. And so like that kind of statistical analysis of other people, of yourself, like it just doesn't matter. All you have to worry about is yourself and maximizing yourself out and believing that you are capable of more than what you currently have. So many people, like they get to their early 20s and they've been training for three to five years and they, they just think that that's the best they're ever going to get. you know. And they look at these other guys who talk about how you can have more and you're like, yeah, but you know, you're on gear or you're on drugs big deal whether they are or they're not their physique is still impressive they still 
work really fucking hard to get to where they're at. And you could be saying the same about yourself, you know, like how amazing would it feel if five years from now you just kept working really hard, you kept eating right, you kept recovering well, and all of a sudden there's people on the internet saying that you're the one that's not natural. I mean, it's a very realistic possibility. You know, I don't have like the most impressive physique by any stretch of the imagination, but in the last like year or so, like I've gotten people asking me if I've been doing any kind of performance enhancing drugs or if I've ever used steroids before and it feels pretty good. It feels pretty good to be that guy now. Uh, you know, and I'm a long ways from what I think is my genetic potential or what I believe. I, I believe that there's a lot more to grow for me. I think that I have a lot more muscle to gain in these next few years. Um, I just don't think that I'm anywhere near maxed out. And I think that that is a big shift from where I was just a few years ago in terms of my mindset. Like I really do believe that I had kind of maxed out. Uh, but obviously I've made some gains since then. And I think that it starts with that mindset, developing that growth mindset. So that's why I wanted to come on and share a few stories with you guys, talk to you a little bit about this growth mindset, this idea of, you know, manifesting positive thoughts, thoughts become feelings, feelings become action and action over time becomes the results that you achieve. So if you want to build more muscle, if you want to get a lot stronger, if you want to achieve the best physique that you've ever had, it all starts with what's going on in your mind. If you have a negative mindset about that, if you don't think that you're worthy of it, it's probably not going to happen for you. I'll just be honest. You know, you can train really hard. You can eat right and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe that it's going to come to you, it's probably not going to come to you. Uh, you know, your, your actions are going to be out of alignment. You know, getting into alignment, I think, is one of the hardest things for people in their early 20s to do. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm there yet. I had an existential crisis last week about being out of alignment within my business. And so I'm going to be making some tweaks to uh, how I talk about things on social media and stuff because I want to have a little bit of a different direction within my business because I didn't think that the my ideals and my ideal client and the way that I talk on social media, I didn't think it was in alignment. And it was causing me stress and anxiety, and I felt like it was holding me back. Now I'm 100% confident in exactly the way that I want to present myself on social media, and I'm 100% confident that my business is going to grow for it because I've realigned everything or gotten things in alignment. So you need to get yourself in alignment. You know, dig deep. What are your thoughts right now in regards to growth in whatever? avenue you're trying to grow in, whether that's, you know, losing fat and developing your leanest physique ever, building muscle, gaining strength, just overall health and wellness, whatever it may be, whatever your goal is, are your thoughts in alignment with that goal? Are those thoughts generating positive feelings about that goal and about those processes? Are those feelings generating the right daily habits are those habits taking place on a daily basis and getting you the results? And ultimately, if you're not getting the results that you want, then you have to loop back around and figure out where in that kind of chain you're not doing what you need to do to get what you want accomplished. So 
I hope that this episode was helpful, guys. If you want to connect with me further, uh, talk a little bit more about your growth mindset, I'd love to be able to help me out, help you out rather. Uh, you could shoot me a message on uh, Facebook or Instagram, Nick Boletto on both of those platforms. And that's it for this episode. I will see you guys in the next one. Take care. Have a great day.